Diamond Bridges from Studio 1B in New York City. I'm your host, Irene Diamond. Now is the time for people of all generations to wake up to their true sense of purpose, to embrace their freedom, and to build bridges between our disjointed collective. Join me today as I feature two guests, both on the cusp of their respective generations, contrasting their stories and talents. Have you ever encountered that moment in life when you ask, is this it? The concept of midlife crisis has triggered those feelings for most adults at some point for decades. But with the evolution of self-care, going inward, and coming to grips with life passages and the ability to change, we the people collectively are on our way to resolving the crisis part of midlife. The guests with me today are trusted leaders in overcoming personal fears and losses. Both of them have coping skills with which they use to impart hope, understanding of ourselves, and mindfulness. Please welcome Jessica Gershman and Rhonda Greif. Hey, Irene. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Irene. So happy to be here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to host the two of you together. Thank you for joining me to shed light on this pivotal topic. Jessica, you're 41. You married when you were 22, which means you've been married for most of your adult life. You have four children. How did you coin the name for your business, The Zen Mommy? <laughs> uh, that's kind of funny, right? Because Zen is like the last place you find yourself when uh, you have four children and you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to run a business and I have a yoga studio and all of the things. Um, and the Zen mommy is kind of like aspirational. It's, I would like to find more of my Zen in more of my days and more parts of my life. Um, and then the podcast Zen ish is just the reality of being, you know, Zen sometimes and not all the time of just having a human experience. Right. Reality. Yes. I like that Zen-ish. <laughs> so Rhonda, your husband passed away. Yes. I'm sorry to hear that. I After how many that. years of marriage? So we were just um, getting to celebrate our 30th uh, wedding anniversary. Wow. Yeah. So everything changed for you, but not just the obvious. Correct. Um, you know, they say that, you know, one big life change is enough for somebody. Um, in my case, uh, as it turned out that when my husband passed, um, so he was 60, just after his 60th birthday, um, we had been living in a home 
I was going on to being a, um, an empty nester. And I really didn't see myself as a homeowner, um, especially since my husband passed and my uh, last child was going to be, you know, leaving the nest. So I actually did sell my home. I was very fortunate, moved into a town home. And if that wasn't enough, uh, a couple months later, I had been working in corporate America for over 25 years. Um, I did get notified that uh, I would be, um, you know, let go. But I was very fortunate that I had a very good severance package and thank God financially I was okay. And so this was three kind of major life changes that you know usually people go through one at a time. I went through them in about six month period. Um, wow. And did your, now your children were adults by then? Yes, yeah, so my youngest was actually graduating high school. So that was a rough uh, finish to the senior year of high school. But thank God, um, finished. My other two were out of the house. Um, actually, both sort of on the cusp of getting married as well, but mm -hmm. living on their own. Um, wow. Yeah. That so I had a lot of life changes. Yeah. All of that at once. Home, yes. Job, children out of the house, mm -hmm. and no husband. After Correct. three years, yeah, not in any particular order. I mean, all of those things are just gigantic. Right. Wow. So, Jessica, you've said your children's successes are not yours to claim. Was that a realization or a tipping point for you in your own development? Yeah, I, you know, I've had a lot of really uh, wise teachers along the way. I've been blessed with just interest in self-discovery and introspection. And, um, I could have been a therapist. It could have been a teacher. I can't remember now, but, you know, really looked at me and said, you know, your kids' lives are their lives and your life is yours. And the reality for me is, uh, while I want to be the bumpers in the bowling lane of my children's lives, I am not the lane. It is their lane. Uh, and their lane continues far beyond me. And even when they're young, I mean, it's our our job and um, desire to to keep them safe and and to guide them and teach them and ultimately allow them to fail on their own. So I think that was a big moment for me. Uh, we grew up, or I grew up in a generation where, um, despite how how I grew up with my parents, there was a helicopter parenting kind of mentality. We want to uh, protect our children from all pain, all uh, misfortune and anything uh, that could happen. You know, we want we want to protect our children, and you know that didn't happen to me when I grew up. Uh, and and really, the reality is, growth happens in the pain and in the struggle. And if our children never experience misfortune or hardships, or have to really be pushed, or think outside the box, or be resilient and recover from anything, then they're not going to be really equipped for the real world. And so the realization that, you know, it's their life uh, is also very freeing is, you know, it's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to keep them safe, to guide them as best I can to model uh, self-love and, and, and values and morals that, you know, I find important, uh, but ultimately, you know, it's on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And would you say at that point too, that, um, you, your own development took off? What I think it frees up uh, emotionally, mentally is 
what we do is, you know, focus on our children. And so it frees up this opportunity that really I'm going to focus on me. I'm the only person that can make myself happy to fulfill myself in any way to, um, to grow and learn. I mean, that's for me. And, you know, whether it's prioritizing my relationship with my husband or my relationship with myself or my studies or, or my career, uh, that there was a shift in priorities and realizing I don't have to be and do everything for my children. I don't have to be the end all, you know, they can find that for themselves. And if I, like a lot of women in my generation that I, that I talk to, that I interview on my podcast are, you know, exhausted and they do everything for the kids. And then they're left, you know, in this situation, I like to call it middle age, you know, rather than, you know, midlife. I don't know. It's so it's, but they find themselves in this situation and they're just miserable, but they've never really spent any time. Uh, or energy or focus on satisfying themselves. It's always been the output of energy. I think think that's the operative word there. I think sometimes mothers are afraid to think of themselves for, uh, they don't want to be labeled selfish. That's society, right? That's what we grew up with. And the martyr is still ingrained in our our head. Many of us were raised by them. Um, Some of us are them. Uh, but you know, anything short of giving all of yourself to others is seen as selfish. And that's the reframe. That's what we have to do as women, as a collective, as we teach our own daughters, our own children, uh, how important self-care is and and valuing yourself. Yes. Yes. Now, Rhonda, it didn't even occur to you previously to your life change that maybe you would be doing something different. That is correct. Um, I always knew that corporate America would end at some point. My kids always asked me, especially as they were getting out of the house and maybe I could have been a little more adventurous, you know, mom, what, what would you want to do? And I said, you know what? I never really thought about it. I had some, you know, some likes and some hobbies that maybe could have been uh, turned into making money, but, um, but nothing that I could pinpoint. And then um, I, uh, that, that freeing up, of you know actually being being let go and being able to have uh, some good time to think about what I wanted to do um, that I'm so thrilled that I'm um, you know now under this whole uh, you know speaking to also to lots of women and um, a lot of what you just said resonated about uh, women find their own their own things and their own um, passions because they are sort of so now you're you're doing uh, some health coaching. Correct. What is the name of your business? So it's actually called um, Get Healthy with Rhonda. I am a coach for a healthy eating program. Uh, but what I like about it is the focus on overall wellness, healthy habits, wellness, um, you know, just wanting to make all aspects of your life better. Um, including, like you said, the self-care, but also looking at all of the habits of sleep and eating and movement and surroundings, um, you know, in order to be the best you, but also to be the best you for your family, for your friends, um, for the others in your life. Because yes, many people are burnt out and um, they're just not giving, uh, you know, good energy to the, the people in their lives. Let's take this to the dining room. Most of us deny having a midlife crisis, but do we really understand the concept? 
or has it just become an outdated term and a thing of the past? Rhonda, now as a life coach, your second act as you call it, part of your mantra is to live your best life and to level up. Based on the people you've helped so far, would you say the, the midlife marker has changed? Um, I think you don't really hear the word midlife crisis anymore, except maybe, you know, just people making fun of the old stereotype. But I think the focus now, and I think more midlife is definitely, um, you know, the em empty nester for sure. When that, if, you know, if that's a part of your life and then a lot about, um, you know, health. So even if it's some number that people say, you know, it's all downhill after, 50 or 60 or 70, I feel like this, this health has now become the marker. And sadly, I speak to a lot of people whose health is really uh, problematic. Um, and so um, I think the focus is on, um, there is still a focus on the number, but trying to feel as good as you can at each, uh, you know, at each miles, milestone age. Um, but more uh, sort of targeted with these big with these big things like empty nest health and then um, you know wanting to as you said the leveling up which is really where I'm putting a lot of focus now and you know first getting yourself healthy and then you know continuing to grow because at every age it can be a scary number but I would really like to think that we can have like really um, healthy fulfilling lives you know, at, you know, big numbers that we never thought possible. I, I, okay, so I guess that would be, uh, it's fair to say that that would be um, your conclusion around the health uh, market, the, the market for wellness and health. It seems um, to be, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm just wondering if 40 is the new 50 or vice versa. Um, I like to say, yeah, 60 is the new 30 or 40. <laughs> Jessica, are people experiencing these epiphanies earlier in life and reconciling the changes? Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting that that Rhonda's kind of perspective is on health and like where your health is as a defining marker and kind of taking you into the next phase in life and what I've experienced uh, with the women that I've that I've interviewed and, and I see in my studio is that for for a lot of us it's a marker of, we got the things, we got the job, we got the kids, we got the husband, we got the house that we were told. And then we sit around and look and be like, mm, yeah, still not happy. I did everything society told me to do. I did everything I was you know, raised to do. I got all of the things. I've got all this external uh, quote unquote happiness. And I looking around and being like, is this all that there is? Uh, so whether that happens as early as in, you know, your thirties, or you find yourself in your forties, when, you know, you get out of the thick of raising really small children that demand so much of your physical time. And you start <laughs> kind of having more of that space to really reflect and be like, wow, I have all of these wonderful things and I'm checking all of the boxes and on the outside, it looks really good. Right. Why do I still feel empty? What's wrong with me, I'm which is generally where we go. Right. So when is it too late? To evaluate your life? 
Never. I mean, you know, that's what I've learned in yoga and meditation is the breath is new in each moment. Every breath is an opportunity to begin again. Is something we say in yoga all the time. And it is that reminder for me as recovering from an eating disorder back in my early twenties, you know, you would go through a cycle and it was just like, fine, the whole day, the whole week, everything, you know, I've gotten off track. Or if you think of an addict, you know, that has a relapse, but when we look at every opportunity, every breath is a moment to start over and begin again. There's really never a time that it's ever too late. I mean, my husband kind of really started looking at his life at 50. I was like, yeah, but you did it at 50. Great. Okay. It could have been 25 or 35 or 55 or 60, whenever you do it and you start to make yourself a priority. I don't think there's ever a time that it's too late. You could be, you know, on your last dying breath at the last moment you have before you leave this earth is happiness and peace. And you decide to, you know, that's good enough, you know? So, you know, there's never too late in my opinion. So you've observed a threat of collective suffering. What do you mean by that? You know, I feel that the pressures put on uh, by society that we put on as a, as women, as mothers, if we use that as a collective, uh, puts a lot of pressure with not a lot of give back. You know, we, we're asked to give so much of ourselves. Uh, and when you go through as mothers, what I call collective suffering, we've all been in it. So there's a common thread that unites us like, whether you have little children or your children, like you Rhonda have left the house, we, we have this universal experience why individually we might've had different, but we've raised children, you know, we've gone through, we remember, we can have compassion and empathy because at some point I'll be where you are. You've been where I am, you know, I've got two in college and two at home and, you know, and, and where your children are, Irene. And, and so there is this collective thread that you know, we can unite one another in compassion and shared experience and collective suffering. I mean, if we look at the pandemic, we had a lot of collective suffering and, you know, we can come out stronger with that. Yes. Rhonda, have you noticed uh, a difference between men and women, male and female? Um, yes. Um, I mean, a lot of things that Jessica's saying is totally resonating. Um, there does seem to be a thread um, you know, running through talking to different, uh, different clients, um, um, that, uh, everyone, um, especially after the pandemic, um, I'm sure it was there before, but the pandemic brought out either very positives for people who were sort of on a positive track before, or very negatives if people were on a negative track before. Or their inclination became more exaggerated as well. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and now I find that most, uh, for both men and women, but women, um, um, you know, are actually pleased to say women are opening up about, you know, where they feel they need to, um, you know, get help and feel better. Um, but um, there's just a lot of, um, I feel like a lot of sadness and a lot of people stressed and a lot of people just overall unhappiness. And that's what makes me sad. And that's why. So they I, get into that with you, with in correct. The health realm. Yeah, and it's such a bigger picture. It's not just one thing. It's, you know, maybe we start with one thing and then you drill down, you find out that there's just so many, you know, so many things pulling, pulling people down. Right. Um, 
Well, I think too, what you said real quick is, you know, this thread of, of asking for help, right? I think that's universal, regardless of the experience, whether you're a mom with young kids and you don't know how to ask for help for childcare because you're expected to do it all on your own, or you're suffering with depression, anxiety, mental illness, you know, loneliness, sadness, health issues, not knowing where to turn to, to feel better in your body. I think that universal idea of asking for help goes across all culture, ages, generations, you know, that is what we need to do to start to take better care of ourselves is not being afraid to ask for help. Well, I'm wondering if the gender is, is one of the thresholds that we still have to encounter. Um, I'm just, because it, it seems to me that women do take better care of themselves. And I'm wondering if men need to learn how to take better I think we could all do a much better job. You know, it might just be packaged a little differently. Uh, men's priorities different maybe than women's if we wouldn't just look at gender. Uh, but I think we all could do a better, whether it's mental health, whether it's self-care, whether it's, you know, eating, physical health, movement, meditation, you know, mindfulness, those kind of things. I think there's, uh, there's I mean, again, with the compared to the corporate world, too. I mean, it, women in the corporate world, especially, I think, uh, they they believe they can do anything. They roll up their sleeves. They want to go ahead. They're, they're doers. And I think, you know, men are like that too. They don't really think about how they're feeling. I think the masculine part of our being is just to do and to forge ahead. It absolutely, I mean, it actually is the doing part of our being. I mean, the women is the softness. If we look at the masculine feminine dynamic and the sun is the energy, the doer, the masculine, the women is the moon side, the feminine, the softness, stillness. We have both inside of us. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's hard to access. Yes. But we do. I think males have feminine sexuality and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. It's just energy. Um. So, Jessica, how do we slow down and do that inner work? Right. That's, that's the question. Um, stillness is scary. We are really comfortable in the doing. We're really comfortable in, in the going. Um, I remember growing up having just this vision, you know, my mother of a single parent, you know, of three kids and she just put her head down and just ran through. It was like, okay, I'm just getting, getting through. Um, but we are, we are not good as a collective, as, as a, community of, of slowing down and being still. Um, how do we do that? It's just practice. It's really taking the time, you know, you'll never have time. Like someone says, there's never going to be a Saturday. That's just going to wake up on your calendar and you're going to wake up and be like, Oh my goodness, I have a Saturday and it's amazing. I don't have anything planned. That's so crazy. What are we going to do today? No, that takes time and effort. Like especially as we get into the holidays and the busyness, you are not going to have a free moment unless you carve it out. The same thing happens for stillness. If you start to prioritize mental health, stillness, um, always having a teacher is great. Always having someone to lean on, whether it's a therapist or a coach or a guide or um, someone that you can connect with. Um, I, you know, for me personally, I just get still in the morning. I do it in the morning when I wake up and I do it before I go to bed. And um, it's just getting in the habits like you talked about, Rhonda. It's getting these healthy habits and prioritizing. Um, and we have to shift our focus. As someone told me a couple of years ago, I need to prioritize rest. And that was profound to me. I was like, wait, that's not being lazy. Mm -hmm. If I prioritize rest. And it really wasn't entirely 
different shift in perspective. I really had to change what I valued because I was a doer. I valued getting things done and I can handle it. I can manage all of my children's schedules and have our, our business and start, you know, our podcast and, and, and to work out and, and still, you know, look and feel great. And I can do it all. And prioritizing rest was a big shift in Anna's perspective. Yeah. I think there's an element of deprivation, not in a negative way, but similar to foods, you know, uh, at night when you get a little hungry and you think, no, I'm not going to have both. I'll have one. <laughs> and I think it's the same with rest versus and sitting still versus putting the television on or, you know, listening to how many people eat, right? With their phones in front of them. And yes. I mean, you probably talk about this as a health coach, Rhonda, with mindful eating and intuitive eating. We can't even connect to our hunger cues if we're watching TV and Netflix or we're on our phone. And, you know, a lot of that is just getting still. So yeah. Jessica, when you gave birth to your first daughter, you were pretty young. You still uh, struggling with your own perfectionism. And then you realize what you hadn't been able to do for yourself, you were going to have to do for your daughter. How did that turn out? Yeah, that was like someone really just turned the game like light on. It was like go time. And so, I mean, I think as, as mothers, we could all agree what we don't have necessarily strength to do for ourselves, we would do for our children. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the, the mother bear instinct in us. Uh, and I knew that in order to raise a strong, confident, resilient, humble, kind young woman, I now have two, I had to model that myself, right? I couldn't just talk about it. You know, I really had to believe those things in myself. If I wanted my daughter to not go through what I went through with body dysmorphia and the things, you know, I had to really model that and I couldn't fake it. You can't, your kids yeah. know, you know, if your kids are brutally have, honest. You know, yeah. The best way to teach, don't you? Right. Especially uh, children. And so self-transformation, you know, I was lucky to get into yoga and what hadn't really stuck with me in, in, in therapy or religion up until that point, yoga was, was a language of love. It allowed me to connect to something greater than myself and to feel good in my skin for the first time in my life as an adult woman at 28 years old, you know, was the first time I actually could say, okay, I'm all right. I'm good enough in this moment. Um, and that spawned my next 13 year love affair of, of yoga and studies and, and being a student and, and growth and, and, you know, making mistakes, right. That's a lot of it being enough. Yeah. It was beautiful. I wanted to just go back to, um, the mindfulness and that's just every aspect of our lives. If we kind of keep that in mind about the mindfulness, also, Jessica used the word resilient. And I think that um, of all of the words out there that I just love what resiliency means. So Rhonda, relationships are challenging. You met a mutual friend of your previous husband and yours, and the two of you are in a relationship now. Would you say this has been something that you've earned? Um, interesting that you phrase it like that. Um, I, um, feel that, uh, first of all, I feel very proud and very happy with, with my new relationship. I feel like, um, I was, uh, that, you know, my husband and I did have a, have a good marriage. Um, um, we had 
you know, bumps in the road, certainly um, towards the end of his, his life. Um, but you, you say earned, that's an interesting way to phrase it. Um, I feel like, um, I do feel like I, I earned it, um, that I, uh, you know, raised, raised my sons, um, you know, as best as I feel like I could. And I'm proud to say that I like them as adults um, and that my husband and I did build a nice life together. And I feel like that I had so much more living to do. I mean, I was a young, a young widow and um, I feel like that this, we connected for a reason and that it really was meant to be, so. Yeah. Jessica, how can we affect change in our married relationships? Oh, you know, it's so funny. Um, this is something I'm currently working on. Just in a relationship, like relationships are hard with our friends, with our kids, with our spouses, with our significant others, uh, because there are expectations on either side, right? Um, I just had this kind of letting go moment in, in meditation. It came to me, I was struggling with a friendship and I wanted something out of the relationship that she wasn't able to give. This happens in, in my marriage as well. You know, I want my husband to show up in a way, you know, to, to fill me up, to get my needs met, you know, and it's, it's as we are little egos, it is about us. And I had this realization that it was my own suffering, you know, giving these expectations on another person, whether they need to give me something in the relationship or give or take and, and really just allowing someone to be as they are and really see them for who they are. Um, I happen to, as the universe works, uh, come across a quote and it really was, uh, from a yogi and it was, a, you know, something along the lines of, and it's not going to be perfect, but if you stop looking at people's behavior toward you as a reflection of you as a person and more of a reflection of their inner workings and how that they relate to themselves, you really cease to get upset. Like it really doesn't bother you. If you start really looking at people's behavior toward you as a reflection of, the, of how they're going, dealing with their own mental chatter and their own inner critic and their own inner ego, um, then you really could just surrender to the experience, you know, from that, um, you get to decide how much energy you plug into these relationships and, and what you want to give out. Um, and so I think letting go of expectations, allowing people to grow on their own path and continue to go for me personally, the answer is always go inside, do the inner work, figure out what I, what I'm lacking in myself. What is it that I'm externalizing? What do I need to try to get from someone else that I need to really fill up myself? Because ultimately it's an inside job always. So if it is something, maybe let's just say something very simple, like, gee, I wish they would just ask me how I'm feeling today. How are you? you know, how, how am I? Yeah. Ships, right? Right. All yeah. In our job or yeah, we have a good life. Thank God. Um, I just wish he would ask me, how, how am I feeling today? How would you approach that? Um, usually I would probably get quiet and be kind of resentful <laughs> and, just sit and, and be like, God, I, if he would only ask me how I was feeling today. But the reality is we can also ask for what we want and what we need. So to go to our 
partner, or our friend, or our husband, or significant other, and say, "Hey, it'd be really nice if you asked me how I was doing today. I'm really having a, a rough day, or I had some really great news." And then give them the space to do exactly that. Ask for what you want. Let them show up and be like, "Okay." When they say, "How was your day today?" Instead of being like, "Well, he did exactly what I told him to do." Right? It's all this inner chatter that we like to do. Okay, um, so let's let's flush this out a little bit. Say they walk in. You're already there. Then what? You're just silent. You kind of wait for them to <laughs> pop the question, or yeah. And if they don't, be like, "Hey, I had a really exciting day. Can you ask me how my day's going? I'd love to share it with you." You know, and make sure that you get their attention. Is this a good time? You know, you can also say, "Is this a good time? I'd love to share my day." They don't really have to ask you. You really just want someone to listen to you. At the end of the day, right? We really maybe just want to listen, and maybe the conversation is great, but. You know, just that fundamental question, how are you? You know, just like you would when you were seeing your best friend, right? Me yeah, I mean, I think it's different expectations, right? Men's inner workings of their brain is a lot different than us as women. And it seems second nature for us to, you know, we would do that always with our friend, you know. Irene, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in I'm four months. Sure. I, I would beg to differ. I think that it's it could yeah. be a female that doesn't ask her male. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, so you've been married 16 years. Have you ever questioned your relationship with your husband? Yeah, I think a lot all the time, you know, as we continue wow. to grow and... Um, I really just question my relationship with myself, to be honest, like as I'm learning myself and uh, I've been with my husband since I was 22 and um, it's, it's more just checking in with how I'm doing. And it's not so much like questioning the relationship so much as like, he's a good man and I love him with all my heart and um, we have this beautiful life, but it's, it's constantly for me checking in and being like, where am I? Where, what am I doing? You know, how do I feel? What's a fresh commitment? You mean like once you figure that out or, um, I, you know, I think it's just really, to me, it's understanding the relationship with myself as that continues to grow and evolve, you know, really, um, there's not ever in our relationship, there hasn't been like an infidelity and there's not any, you know, major, um, things that, that happen, you know, I think, yeah. Or any, you know, um, but it's just constantly kind of, you know, I guess just checking in with myself, what, you know, I continue to change all the time. I mean, year after year, um, I look back and reflect when journaling is great for that. If you're into that kind of thing, um, and, and check in with myself and it's not so much like, do I want to stay in this relationship or not? It's like, how am I feeling in the, my relationship? What things have changed for me? What is different? What? you know, what do, how can I show up differently in this relationship? What is it that, you know, I might need, um, what do I need to satisfy in myself? I, you know, it's just, it's always ever changing, I guess, is the answer. What do you think is the secret to successful love and sex life in a committed relationship? You want to take it, Rhonda? <laughs> you, you've um, got that. You've got 30 years on me. So well, um, well, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, the communication piece. And I certainly wish that I was more introspective and, you know, asking more questions of myself at a younger age. Um, I think when you're having the kids and, uh, you know, just kind of on that treadmill of life, you know, all good, but not really taking time to assess. 
I think that is like so hugely important. Um, and depending on your spouse, whether they are open or introspective, you know, your job might be a little tougher, but I think you really have to work at that to sort of set that as sort of a, a, a baseline for the relationship. Um, the other huge thing is um, I think, you know, always looking to grow and change and, um, and basically, you know, it's cliche, but, you know, keep that spark and, um, and the spice and you have to introduce new things and keep things, uh, keep things fresh. And, you know, you kind of forget about it in the moment when you're in it, um, but you really have to keep, keep your you know, mind and eyes open to, uh, you know, keep injecting new stuff because it's very easy just to fall into, into a rut, which is really not a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's, uh, again, it's checking back in. I love what you said and, and communication and, um, it's effort just like anything else. It's, it's priorities. And, uh, you can set out time at the end of the day to connect with your spouse. Um, we've got some practices that we work with a relationship coaches out in San Francisco. They're touching practice, emotional check-in practices, um, so, you know, some, some ways that we can connect physically and emotionally, and it takes effort. You know, it's really easy to just hit Netflix and be like, yeah, Ooh, that was a day we made it through <laughs> and right. you know, we'll do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, it's, it's effort. And, and like you said, Rhonda, it's, it's checking in and introspection and communication and all, you know, all of those buzzwords that we hear. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're meaningful, because some people, you know, we think that we're having meaningful dialogue, but we're really not getting to sort of the heart of the matter. So that's, yeah, we're good at the check-in, right? Let's mm-hmm. check in on the kids, check in on our jobs, check in on, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, good. We, we're up to date. That's, <laughs> you know, but there's not a lot of depth there, Correct. a lot of intimacy. Yeah. Jessica Gershman calls herself a recovering perfectionist. She is a role model for personal change and believes that proper self-care means to slow down, enjoy life, and achieve more. Jessica, please take the stage and guide us in our self-care meditation. Wonderful. Thanks, Irene. Thank you again, Rhonda, for this beautiful conversation. Uh, For all of you that are tuning in, find any comfortable seated posture or lying down. So as long as you can hear my voice, you can stay with us. So finding your hips supported, maybe the feet are on the ground or you're sitting cross-legged and either lower the eyelids or close the eyes. So as we settle into your practice, remember meditation is not about stopping the thoughts. It's impossible. We have about 80,000 thoughts that run through our mind every day, but it's like a, like a muscle of awareness that we can continue to bring our mind back into focus in the present moment. Just start to notice your body breathing, feeling the sensation of being breathed this beautiful energy that flows freely in and out, this energetic exchange. It is free and accessible to all. And the tool that I use in my meditation practice to remind myself to come back to the present. You may have noticed that 
even just by bringing your attention to the breath, that breath got a little longer or may have smoothed out or even the exhales lengthened just a tiny bit more. Invite your awareness to take a scan of your physical body. Allow the scalp to relax. Allowing the space around the base of the skull to soften. Smoothing out the forehead, allowing the eyebrows to settle. Draping relaxation over the eyelids and the muscles deep in the eyes. Softening our gaze behind closed eyelids, relax there. Feeling relaxation come over the cheeks, nose and nostrils. Feeling the ears relax and the inner ears relax. Allow the lips, teeth, jaw to soften. And maybe just for today, unhinge the jaw, let the tongue rest in the mouth. Softening the throat and the pit of the throat. Feeling the space in the center of your chest. And our rib cage is meant to house and protect all of these vital organs softening there. Feeling a sense of relaxation drape over the shoulder blades and shoulders, down the arms, the elbows, wrists, down to the fingertips. Feeling even the pads of the fingers relax. Softening the muscles of the abdomen now. The pelvis, hips, and buttocks. Relaxing through the thighs, the knees, the pits of the knees, down to the calves and ankles. Relax through the feet, the soles of the feet, and each one of the 10 toes individually. Feel that the feet can be both soft, relaxed, and grounded. Feel some heaviness through the feet and hips if proceeded. And then just gently bring your awareness back to the breath. I love layering on a very simple mantra that just gives our minds focus, something to rest on. So on your next inhale, simply repeat mentally to yourself, I am breathing in. And on the exhale, I am breathing out. A beautiful, simple acknowledgement of the breath. I'm breathing in, I am breathing out. 
Just continuing on with that mantra, repeating it with each and every inhalation and exhalation. Notice if the mind has wandered, just come back to the breath, come back to the simple mantra. Maybe you drop a few words and it simply becomes in and out. Notice the subtle sensations of the breath as it enters the body, the temperature. Does the breath feel cooler as it enters and warmed as it leaves the body. In and out. In and out. I'll leave you for a few moments in stillness and just acknowledging when the mind wanders, come back to that simple mantra, come back to the breath. Next in-breath, take a deep, full inhalation. Open mouth, sigh it out, release energy. And before you open the eyes, just imagine something that you're grateful for in this moment. I'm grateful for you, Irene and Rhonda, for sharing this space and this opportunity to connect. Fighting stillness, and when you're ready, just gently open the eyes. Thank you. Mm, so nice. Very nice, very comfortable. So yeah. is this something you would do maybe in the middle of the day, like at your desk or? Yeah, I. you know, the breath is, is this such a cool thing? Cause it's free and accessible to all. It's always with you. Um, that simple mantra is the way I begin my meditation just to kind of center my mind. But yeah, I mean, it can be done with eyes open, just connecting with the breath. Yogis say, you know, the breath is something that we can't do in the past. We can't breathe for ourselves in the past and we can't breathe for ourselves in the future. And so it really is this tool, this anchor that 
It keeps us right here in the present moment and the present is where the joy is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very much so. And now with the thoughts that come to mind in that moment of silence and then you go back to your breath, um, is that something that you would maybe develop or uh, expand on? Yeah, I mean, the thoughts are going to come, right? That's our brain's job is to think 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's really not about stopping the thoughts because the more you try to stop the thoughts, the, the more weight that they have to come back in. It's really just acknowledging, coming back to the breath. You can feel sensations, you know, feel what your skin or the clothes feel like against your skin. I'm just coming back. And again, time and time again, we just come back to the present and, um, You'll find that the space gets a little longer between spot between thoughts, but we can't stop thinking, right? That's impossible. Right, right. But just that comfort of knowing that I am and I'm loved and I can be whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The meditation, even for a few minutes, it's just amazing how you can really get into it and get into the zone. And I like what you said about the thoughts not leaving, but um, being spaced, spaced out. So, you know, for a little bit of time there, it's like, you know, thinking, 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 and then I'm, and then you realize that you're not. And then the next thought comes, you're like, oh, wow, I really went for a period of time there where I really was just relaxed and into the breathing, you know, and listening to you, Jessica, of course, but, um, and going through each part of the body is so, um, is so powerful. I really like that. Well, I want to thank my viewing audience for joining me today. Rhonda, thank you for being my guest and sharing your story on Diamond Bridges. Where can people find you? So I am on Instagram as uh, Get Healthy with Rhonda V. And then um, I have a pretty robust uh, Facebook profile where I'm always posting about wellness and just all things wellness. So Rhonda Zelkind Greif, and I look forward to great. And Jessica, where can we find you? Sure, yeah. Bring your teaching methods with us and for self-care. Thanks. It was so nice to be here. Uh, Yeah, I'm on Instagram at the underscore Zen underscore mommy. The podcast is called Zen-ish. I set out our one-on-one conversations every week and a mindfulness tip. Uh, every Thursday. So check it out or you can get me at the zenmommy.com. Well, I hope we've answered some of your questions today. I'm wondering with the proper self-care and mindfulness toward our significant others, whether the concept of midlife crisis is still a thing. See you next time on Diamond Bridges. Tune in to our monthly episodes. Uh, Turn into our alerts to find a new episode of Diamond Bridges on the first Monday of every month. Listen and watch Jen Stone's highlights of our show episodes. Follow us on Instagram, Diamond Bridges Show. Mm